we turn to the chapter we read in Isaiah, chapter 42. Isaiah, chapter 42, and the words we find at verse 16. 42, 16. And I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. These things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Now we all know, youngest to the oldest, that we're in a new year and it's the first Sunday in the new year. And we also know that we divide up our calendars and it's a little bit artificial, isn't it? When we, we, uh, the calendars aren't in the Bible. So last Sunday we were in 2017 and today we're in 2018 and we, we, we divide up our lives into days and months and years and the centuries and uh, that, that's, that is what we do. But although it may not be written in the Bible, it's a very valuable thing that we have old years and new years and that we measure our time. It's valuable because it reminds us of a number of things. And one thing it reminds us of today is that the future that lies before us we don't know. We call it a new year, but in, in reality everything is going to be new this year. We, we don't know what will happen next week or next month because life is full of things that are changing. And sometimes we forget that. We live in a world that's changing. We're growing up. We're getting older. Years go by. And the Bible calls upon us, reminds us how important it is to remember that things aren't going to be the same always. We, things change. We change. world changes. And you know, if it wasn't for the Bible, that would be a very disturbing, upsetting thought, wouldn't it? In fact, we have a veil over the future, do not know. Some people get very worried about that. They, they, they even go to people that they uh, can promise to tell their fortunes or they think they live under a certain star and that will help them to decide what they should do. And as they think about the future... Uh, They have no confidence in it at all. But the Bible gives us confidence as we trust in God about the future. And the confidence comes from the fact that God has given us promises. And these promises are sure and certain. And one of the promises that keeps coming over and over in the Bible, because we need it often, is the promise that God will guide us. Psalm Psalm 23, good shepherd. God says, well, the the psalmist says, he leads me, he leads me. Psalm 32 says, the Lord says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way that you should go. It's a promise. Another verse says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. We may think, wherever we go, God guides our steps. And many, another text says, there are many devices and thoughts in a man's heart, plans maybe, but the counsel of the Lord, that will stand. 
promises of God's guidance. Now the psalm says, Thou guide me with thy counsel, afterwards receive me to glory. Well, that's our subject this morning. God promises for our future. And here in our text is one of the most beautiful of these promises. God says, I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked things straight. Now, some of you will have a more modern version than me, and crooked things may become, could be translated, crooked ground, rough ground. Here's, here's ground before us. We don't know what it's going to be like, but instead of being on level ground, sometimes in our lives we get onto ground that's all rough and rugged and means difficult places. God says, crooked things, rough ground, God can make it plain. It's a beautiful promise. And that's what we want to think about. And the first thing we need to remember, I think, as we look at it, is that when God makes promises, the people to whom he's speaking are always described. Just like if you get a letter in the post, when it arrives at your house, it has someone's name on it there, the person who's supposed to open the letter. It's written to them. Well, God's promises have people attached to them, and they're described, and they're described in this chapter. This chapter is about the kingdom of Christ. God says that he's sending his son, who is his elect, his anointed, and he is going to be made glorious in all the earth. And then the chapter describes the people that are going to belong to this kingdom. And we're told uh, in verse 7 that they are prisoners. They weren't born in the kingdom of Christ. They were born in a different kingdom. They're prisoners. And he's going to bring those that sit in darkness, verse 7 says, out of the prison house. So for Christians this morning, that's part of our character. We've been delivered from a position we were once in. And then the text that we're looking at, verse 16, describes us by another word. God says, I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. Now, there are different kinds of blindness. There's real physical blindness. The Bible's not talking about that. And there's a blindness of unbelief. You know, before we become Christians, we are so blind to spiritual realities. We think they don't exist. We don't believe that they're real. We're, we're blind. Now, the blindness in our text here is a continuing blindness. It's not the blindness of unbelief. It's a blindness that's still true of God's believing people. And it's pointing to the fact of our dependency upon God. You know, blind people aren't self-sufficient. blind person needs to be led along. Sometimes a dog helps them. It's a friend taken by the hand. If, if a person is blind, they don't boast and say, I'm, I'm self-sufficient, I can do everything. No, they, they need a guide. And that's true of Christians. We, we are affected by this kind of blindness. It's not true of non-Christians in this sense that non-Christians think that they can stand on their own an unbelieving man wrote some years ago, 
I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. But when a Christian speaks, they say, I need thy presence every passing hour. Nothing, not but thy grace can foil the tempter's power. If we're Christians this morning, we belong to a group of people who are insufficient, who look to God, who need the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this promise is made to them. I will, God says, lead, lead the blind. Sorry. Lead the blind by a way that they know not. You can think of that in terms of prayer. Even the Apostle Paul said, we know not what to pray for as we ought. It's a remarkable thing to think a man like Paul knew how to pray. Oh, he said, we, we know not what to pray for as we ought. We sometimes ask God for the wrong things. We sometimes ask God to change our circumstances, but what we really need is grace and patience where we are. We sometimes ask God to give us things that wouldn't be good for us if we had them. You know how the disciples once asked the Lord Jesus for something, and Jesus said to them, you know not what to pray for. What did he say? Uh, you know not what ye ask. Mistaken prayer. Well, believers, Christians, know something about that. We, we need help from God at all times. So some of the Bibles, some of the prayers in the Bible are very simple prayers. Take the prayer in Psalm 90. Lord, the psalmist says, teach us to number our days. Well, that sounds a very simple thing to pray, but it's not. Lord, teach us to number our days, to count them up, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. In other words, it means when I think about how short my life is, how quickly it goes, why? I must count time precious. Even when I'm young, my time is going and I must benefit from it. That's a prayer. Teach me to number my days. I hope we all pray that prayer. But it's a mark of our insufficiency. We look to God for help and guidance. We don't depend on ourselves. A number of you know the beautiful hymn, Thy way not mine, O Lord. However dark it be, lead me by thine own hand. Choose out the path for me. So this is the first point. God is a promise-making God. To whom does he make promises? To those that are poor and needy and trusting in him. That's true of all the promises of the Bible. Think of them. Blessed are the dead, says the scripture. Then the, then the description, who die in the Lord. Not true, everybody is blessed. But those who die in the Lord are blessed. Here's a promise given to the people of God. The next thing to think about in our text is, who is it who makes this promise? And that's what's emphasized very much in the words. I will bring the blind by a way that they know not. I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light. I will not forsake them. It's God who speaks. 
You know, this world is full of promises, all kinds of promises. Many of them are false promises. They never happen. They're just really lies. And behind a lot of those false promises is the devil, isn't it? What did the devil do when he came to the Lord Jesus in the wilderness? Do you remember? He came and tempted him, the scripture says. And he tempted him with lies. He promised what he would do if Jesus would just follow his guidance. And the devil is working in the world we live in. And there are many, many false promises. You know, the state of our country, England and Scotland, Wales, at the present time, we have, we're in many troubles. You may hear about them sometimes. And you know, that's quite the opposite of what people used to say when we were young, some of us, 50 years ago, and there were false promises made even in the church. People said, before us are good days and prosperous days and greater days. We're, we're evolving into something more wonderful and before us is a, a great land and Britain will be greater than ever before. And you know, people believed it. It was, a, it was, it was unbelief. They were believing a lie wasn't true. We were actually going downhill. People were going away from God and against his word, but they thought all is going to be well. So God is the only promise maker. And he's the only promise maker because he's the only one who is sovereign and omnipotent. He controls all things and omniscient. He knows all things. And here is a truth that comes out again and again in the prophet Isaiah. God alone knows the future. He does know it, every part of it. And the, the book of Isaiah tells us that again and again. If you have your Bibles in your hand, you might look at one or two verses with me. They're wonderful verses. In this chapter, for example, in verse 9, Isaiah Behold, the former things, the old things, are come to pass. Things that God said would happen, they have come to pass. And new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Something's going to happen in the future, only God knows. But God's word tells us before they happen, so that we would be confirmed in our faith. And that Wonderfully, wonderfully demonstrated in this book of Isaiah. It tells us, for example, a little further on that, that Israel were not going to receive the kingdom of Christ, but the Gentiles were. All the ends of the earth, the north and the south, the east and the west, God was going to call a people. That was written at a time when the church was only a small body in one little land. That little land was not going to as a land receive, but the earth. How did God, how, how is that possible? Because God purposes. God is omnipotent and he plans. Look at a few more verses. Verse 43, chapter 43, verses 5 and 6. 43. 5 and 6. Well, that's a, a verse speaking of the great extent of Christ's kingdom. 
I will bring thy seed, that's the offering, the offspring from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Far away Northumberland, never heard of by the prophet Isaiah. All the ends of the earth were going to be involved in the kingdom of Christ. 44, verse 25. Now, verse 25 of chapter 44 says that God frustrates the tokens of the liars and makes the diviners mad. Now, I have to explain that a little bit. The tokens of liars. You know, in the Old Testament time, there were people who claimed to be able to tell the future, like fortune tellers. And they gave tokens, they gave little signs. They thought that these would prove what was going to happen. And God says, they're liars. And diviners, that is people who tried to divine what was going to happen, he turns them backwards, makes their knowledge foolish. But look in contrast, verse 26, that confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers that says to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited. To the cities of Judah ye shall be built. God says before things happen what they're going to be. Isaiah 46 and verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient, ancient times the things that are not yet done. That's a wonderful verse. Former things, things that are not yet done, God declares them. So many of you know Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, we have a description of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work and what he was going to do and what was going to happen after he died. It's all in Isaiah 53. How is that possible? Only because God is infinitely great, omniscient, powerful. So that's the second part of our verse or the second thing we need to learn from it that God is the one who makes promise and it's a proof that he's God that he knows the future remember the Lord Jesus Christ in the upper room when the disciples were downcast and afraid uh, and he says to them in my father's house are many mansions many abodes if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. What language? The Lord Jesus has come from heaven. He knows all about heaven. He knows things that we don't begin to know. If it were not so, I would have told you. He knows. And then he goes on to tell the disciples comforting words for their future. So that's what we have here in our text God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. And you know, this is really a test of where we are as people today. Sometimes people say, well, I believe in God, I trust in him. But then something happens that surprises them. Crooked things happen. Darkness comes down. And they're full of alarm. No, that can happen to all of us. Our faith is very imperfect. But what happens at those moments of alarm is that we forget that God knew all this before it began. 
God is leading his people. Because we sometimes get into dark places and darkness comes down on us, doesn't mean God isn't guiding us. It promises not that he'll keep us from darkness, but that he will make darkness in good time light. Crooked things he'll make straight. So what's next? Well, what's next is to underline the fact that our text says that this guidance of God is sure and effective and it's guidance of grace. It's not our cleverness. It's not our guiding ourselves. I will lead the blind. I will bring them by a way that they know not. God is going to do it. Now that starts when we become Christians. We become Christians in different ways. But one thing is sure about everyone who becomes a Christian, and that's this. They didn't plan it. They didn't know what was going to happen. Something happened that began to turn their thoughts Godward and heavenward. And suddenly, perhaps, or sometimes slowly, they get a different view of themselves. And they realize how unworthy and guilty and unworthy they are. And they used to think very highly of themselves. And then they get a different picture. And what's happening? God's leading the blind. And he's leading them to light. And the result of his leading is we come to repentance and faith. But this is what our text is saying. God doesn't stop leading the blind. As believers, when we know so little... He is guiding us still. By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That is true right the way through life. The devil sometimes tempts us to think that we've made such grievous mistakes. We've run into disappointments and trials, and um, we've forfeited God's help and blessing. But the promise is not that if we are careful and we plan our future correctly, the promise is to the poor and the needy that God will work all things together for good to them that love him and who trust in him. And the Bible's full of records of that, isn't it? You think of that man, Jacob. Jacob sinned grievously against his father Isaac and against his brother and it comes to a point where he just has to leave home and he sets off to some distance to his uncle where his uncle lived first night he was traveling he came to a barren place of no nowhere to shelter he found a rock for his pillow and he simply he lighted on a place says the scripture and he tarried there but But that wasn't the end of it. God can speak to us even when we're sleeping. And when Jacob was sleeping, he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a ladder going from where he was right up to heaven. And then from the top of that ladder, God spoke to him. And he said, Behold, I am with thee and will keep thee, keep you in all places wherever you go. Wasn't that a gracious promise? 
Here was a man who was in trouble entirely by his own fault, lying down to sleep all alone in this great wilderness, and God is there, and God speaks to him and gives him this words of comfort. Or think of Naomi in the book of Ruth, Naomi and Elimelech, her husband. And here a famine comes on the land of Israel, and they don't know what to do. And in the end, they decide to leave Israel and go to Moab. Well, some people say they shouldn't have done that. Well, we're not actually told that, but we do know they went to this other country of Moab, and there things didn't turn out happily at all because they had two sons. Both their sons died. And then Elimelech, her husband, died also. And in the end, Naomi goes back to Israel with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and she said, she said, I came from home full family, and I am returned empty. But the Lord led me, led me, even when things seem all wrong. God had been leading her in every step. Now that's true of all believers. We are sometimes led into dark situations, crooked things, rough ground, darkness, and in the midst of it, God takes us by the hand. It's a, it's a guidance of grace. It's grace that's promised. If I, I, I enjoyed these little words, if I can put my hand on them. No, I can't. Never mind. Um, it was about a lady who, whose family fled from Russia at the end of the Second World War into Western Germany and still alive today in Hamburg. It's a very old lady. And her family sent me a few days ago a beautiful verse about all the way through our journey of life, hand of God is with us. Even when we go down to the waters of Jordan at death, we don't cross alone. Even there, God is with us. That's what the verse was around about. Maybe another time I can give it to you. Now, we've thought about what the promise is, guidance, to whom God makes the promise. We've tried to think about the promise keeper. And that's the greatest thing of all to know. God, the infinite God, undertakes to do this for us. And a last word about the way God guides us. He guides us as he guided his son. Scripture says, God is bringing many sons, many sons, unto glory. The Lord Jesus Christ came first. He's the head of the whole body. And this chapter promises that the Father is going to hold his hand and keep him. And there's a real true sense in which we are led in the same path as the Lord Jesus. Because God's purpose is to make us all like his son. That means when our Lord speaks in the Gospels, you see it so often, he's able to say, 
My time has not yet come. He knew that God had planned his life. It means that our lives are planned as the Lord Jesus in this sense that we walk in a way of holiness. Our Lord had to take up a cross and believers have to do that. A cross means we learn to renounce ourselves. It's part of the way we walk. We're not walking in this world to please self, but to please Christ. I read the other day of Elizabeth Elliot, who went to Ecuador as a missionary early in the 1950s, before she was married, still single. And she worked in a tribe for, was it six months, nine months? Hadn't got the Bible. She didn't know their language. She worked hard at it. She had only one helper, but she'd only been there a month when this helper was killed. She went on on her own. She built up a whole file of information on the breaking down of their language to bring it into scripture. And then she had to leave that tribe. She left her precious information, files, notes and verbs and vocabulary. She left it and somebody stole it. And it was lost. The whole thing was gone. And she thought about God's guidance. And then she said, I learned this truth. It's more important than all the others. That I have to submit to God's holy will. Sometimes that would be very hard. But if I'm a Christian and I believe God is governing all things, I am to submit to his holy will. And she did. And as many of you know, God led her on to live herself a fruitful life. The other day we were in southwest of Scotland in Galloway, um, close to the spot where these two Christian women were executed by drowning, Margaret Lackland and Margaret Wilson, just young women. And what was their offence? They had been attending a Presbyterian service, an open-air service, death penalty for attending. They were staked out in the Solway Firth and they drowned. But what did they sing? As they were drowning, they sang from Psalm 25, God good and upright is. The meek in wisdom he will guide. That's what they sang dying. That's true for every believer. Every step of the way. We are led, we are guided. Well, the question is for us, do we believe that? Do we believe that God is guiding us? Do we trust him for that? Have we committed our lives to him? And do we leave with him the things we can't understand and which are darkness to us, but which he is going to lead us through. And when we come to the end of the darkness, we will come into light indescribable. We will one day, in God's mercy, find ourselves in the midst of a company, multitude greater than no man can number, people of every country and kindred and tribe, who washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's the prospect 
of God's people. We live by faith, we die in faith, and God's word stands sure. All flesh is as grass, as the flower of the field, says the scripture, but the word of the Lord endures forever. So Isaiah 42, young people, please remember, Isaiah 42, verse 16. Now, shall we pray? Lord, we lift up our hearts to thee and we pray that thy spirit would teach us and help us. Open our eyes to behold the wonder of thy goodness and mercy. Bless, Lord, this gathered people. Thank thee for each one. Pray that thou wouldst take us by the hand and lead us to thy eternal kingdom. Bless thy word to us and all who hear thy word this day in all the world. At the start of another year, Lord, we commit our way to thee. Hear our cry. Cleanse us from sin. For Jesus' sake. Amen.